The Midwest Crime Files is an unscripted true crimes podcast. In it, we discuss heinous crimes and how they are committed. Viewer discretion is advised. I'm Chris. We're here to tell you the stories of small towns and the heinous crimes that changed them forever. This week's story brings us to East St. Louis, which is just across the Mississippi River from the city of St. Louis. And in the late 1980s, Jamela Tunstall and Tiffany Hall met as the two began kindergarten in East St. Louis. The girls became best friends, and their families bonded really quickly together, too. Their moms became friends. Um, they even had, like, get-togethers with the whole group. Over the years, the girls remained extremely close, and then in 2006, tragedy struck, leaving one of the girls dead. This is the story of a friendship destroyed by jealousy and the tragic aftermath of a deadly friendship. Jamela Tunstall was born in February of 1983. Shortly after starting school, she became very good friends with Tiffany Hall, um, best friends even, to the point where they were like sisters. And Jamela and Tiffany both grew up in the same East St. Louis neighborhood, and they faced a lot of challenges at a young age. And for those of you that don't know, um, there's a lot of parts of East St. Louis that are very low income, and, it is um, a, it is a very poverty stricken neighborhood. Absolutely, and so the girls suffered, um, you know, or struggled, I should say, with with those kind of issues, and they kind of just came together as friends to get through some of those really hard things that they had to go through growing up. And like I said, most people describe them as almost being like sisters. And they were kind of like family because their families would come together. Their their mothers were like best friends. They would do family um, events with each other's families and holidays right, this and things is just, like that. It's just like any other family that... I mean, we all have some some friendship like that. Or at least I hope people do. Right. Jamela grew up in foster care, and she had difficulty trusting people. So, from my research, what I what I could see is that maybe she was sort of in and out of foster care between that and her mother's care, but I'm not 100% sure. I couldn't find real clear answers on that. Um, but she certainly had an unstable upbringing. And she always had Tiffany, though. That was her rock. Jamela was 16 when she gave birth to her first child, a son that she named Demond. She had another son, Ivan, in 2003 and a daughter, Janella, in 2004. Jamela loved being a mother, but she struggled with it at times, as do a lot of young mothers. In 2005, Jamela temporarily lost custody of her child and or her children, rather, and she even faced a domestic battery charge after it was reported to DCFS that she whipped her oldest son, Demond, with a belt and an extension cord. So, the goal of DCFS is not supposed to be punitive. They're not supposed to just take children away. The goal really should be to re reunite the family if it's possible and safe. So, that's what they tried to do. Uh, Jamela completed parenting classes. She worked really, really hard to get her kids back. They said she even used like a tax refund to buy a vehicle to make sure she could get them where they needed to go, you know, back and forth to doctor's appointments and things like that. So after completing all of her parenting classes, they dropped the charges against her and gave her custody of her children again. And so it seemed like things were you know, back on track for her. Right. She wanted to be a photographer, and she was hoping to take classes for that, but that kind of went on hold in early 2006 because she learned that she was pregnant with her fourth child. Tiffany also faced struggles as a young adult and even as a juvenile. 
Tiffany's mother, Beverly Cruz, told the St. Louis Post-Dispatch that Tiffany once set her mother's kitchen on fire as a teenager and that she was very rebellious. At age 14, Tiffany was sent to a juvenile corrections facility on a battery charge after she kicked her mom. She dropped out of school even before junior high. So certainly these girls both faced an enormous amount of challenges right at very young ages and like Jamela Tiffany also became a mother at 16 she gave birth to a daughter and just a year later she had another daughter in August of 1999 when her second daughter was just two months old Tiffany came home carrying the baby in her arms and her mother called 911 immediately because the baby was limp, like a rag doll. And the baby was transferred to Cardinal Glennon Hospital in St. Louis. It was determined that the child had been abused and faced long-term disabilities as a result of her injuries that day in August. Now, my research didn't tell me a whole lot of information, like if it was shaken baby syndrome or... If it was actually beat. Like, yeah, I don't have the specific information, but it, it was determined that her injuries were a result of the neglect and what are neglect and abuse. The Department of Children and Family Services took both of Tiffany's children from her care and they filed an abuse suit against her. But for whatever reason, the state's attorney never filed any charges against Tiffany Hall. Hmm. That's that's. Especially in a child abuse case where it deals with that, like, when there's, like, actual long-term effects. Right. It's very odd as to what happened. But DCFS continued to work with Tiffany, and by 2002, the judge felt like Tiffany was no longer a danger to her daughters, and they returned the girls to her custody. Um, but that same year, Tiffany was also charged with possession of a stolen credit card. So she wasn't like 100% getting herself out of trouble. Right. Now, what my research told me is that Tiffany's daughter, um, the younger daughter that had been abused, she did have long-term effects from it and, and apparently still does. It seems like maybe um, cerebral palsy type symptoms. She... I know at like seven years old was still wearing a diaper and required special care, was not able to communicate. So right. whatever happened to her likely resulted in some sort of brain injury possibly, but I right. don't have the specifics. But it was definitely a long-term consequence of whatever happened that day in August. By September of 2006, Jamela was seven months pregnant with her daughter um, her fourth child was a daughter, and Tiffany also announced that she was pregnant. Hmm. But tragedy struck on September 15, 2006. Tiffany called 911 to report that she had given birth to a stillborn baby. She and the deceased baby girl were taken to the hospital in Centerville, Illinois. Now, the thing that first struck authorities as weird is that Tiffany refused to be examined. Mm -hmm. But she explained that away by saying that she had been sexually assaulted in the city of St. Louis, and that is what caused her to give birth. So they thought maybe her refusal to be examined was a result of sexual assault trauma. Right. And this is something that we touched on last week in our case with sexual assault victims. That it's it it is a very serious thing, and they don't want to relive any part of it. And I can, I can see, from our discussion last week, how, you know, no, I don't want, no, I was just raped, and no, nobody's gonna be come near me. I can see that now. Yeah. So she she declined to be uh, examined, but the baby was examined, and the baby was determined to be dead, but. They weren't able to find a clear cause of death, but because she had claimed to be sexually assaulted, the special victims unit from St. Louis was called. Mm -hmm. So they started to work with Tiffany to, to find out 
who had assaulted her, but she really wasn't able to give them a whole lot of information that would lead to a suspect or an arrest. On Thursday, September 21st, a funeral was held for the baby who Tiffany had named Taylor. Tiffany's boyfriend, who was an active member of the United States military, was home on an emergency leave to attend the funeral of his child. The day took an unexpected turn when Tiffany confided in her boyfriend that the baby was not his and that, quote, she had removed it from her cousin's body after killing her, end quote. I can't imagine what went through his head hearing that from her. But he did the right thing and he immediately notified authorities as to what Tiffany good had told on, him. Good on him for not trying to cover, I, I, I don't know, cover it up or, you know, but not playing along with what's, or not going along with the story. Right. Like, good on you for, like, taking those military values and, even though it probably hurt, to actually go th- go through with it. Yeah, I can't, I just... I don't even know, like, how somebody would respond to something like that. And then I guess that kind of begs the question, too. Well, well, we'll go back to that. A few hours later, the body of Jamela Tunstall was found in a weedy patch on North 56th Street in East St. Louis in very close proximity to Tiffany's home. So what I was just going to say, but then I kind of waited a minute because we hadn't necessarily identified Jamela as the victim. Right. If Jamela and Tiffany were so close, did anyone find it odd that Jamela wasn't with Tiffany after the death of her child? Right. Or at the funeral? Like, it would be weird to think people would be saying, like, where's where's Jamela? So yeah, just, especially if these girls were thick as thieves growing right. up, you know. And she's just absent right. during one of the hardest things that a mother would have to go through, burying right. her child. Right. So an autopsy was completed on Jamela, and it was determined that she was beat with a blunt object, and she died from blood loss. She had also had an extremely large laceration to her abdomen. And that... Just goes to, like, you don't die from blood loss from blunt trauma to the head. Right. Guys. Like, so this means that she was still alive while the baby was being cut out of her. Her infant daughter was removed. And she, you know, medical um, pathologists and the, the physicians that did her autopsy, they do believe that she was alive as the baby was cut from her body. God, I, I couldn't imagine that scenario. Mm-mm. Still, like, I, hopefully, this is what I hope, hearing this, I hope that the blunt trauma was enough to knock her out, at least. I, so she didn't I really have, hope. Because I could not imagine being awake while somebody, one, cuts into me. That's traumatic enough. But then rips my unborn child out of me as well. And it's not clear whether the baby was born alive and died shortly after, because they don't know why the baby died. Right. Or was the baby still born? Um, Which the baby suffocated. Like they, I, you know, was there so much blood loss in the process that by the time she was able to remove the child, it was too late? Like, it, there's a lot of questions that we don't have answers to. Right. Her... So Tiffany's taken into custody. And both of these girls' mothers, like I said, they were best friends. So they're just devastated. Not only have they lost Jamela, but... Now they've lost an unborn child that was going to be coming in. Right. And Tiffany, like... And now you're going to... What happened? Yeah. What How? What caused you to go to that length and do that kind of... Act. To someone you consider family. Right. I mean, she called her her cousin. And then all of a sudden, there's this overwhelming sense of panic. Jamela has three other children, and nobody knows where these three other children are. 
Tiffany's children were located quickly and they were safe, but nobody had seen Demond, Ivan, or Janella since the week before. Jamella's boyfriend told authorities that on September 18th, Tiffany had came to his apartment to pick up the kids. Tiffany told them that Jamella had asked her to pick them up and babysit them. This was not uncommon at all. Tiffany frequently babysat for Jamella and she was very familiar with Jamella's children. So the children, I mean, they probably knew her as Aunt Tiffany or, you know, they were, it was not unusual whatsoever. This was the last time he saw his children. By September 18th, when she went and picked those children up, Jamela had already been dead. Authorities went to Jamela's apartment on Friday, September 22nd, and they searched for any sign of the kids, but they couldn't find him anywhere. They were able to find some pictures to start a missing person report, and a widespread search was conducted. They really focused on Frank Colton State Park in East St. Louis. Right. The searches all came up empty. So after these unsuccessful searches for Jamela's children, they decide that the only chance they have of finding the children alive is to put some pressure on Tiffany. And so that's what they do. And eventually she tells them where they can find the children. On Saturday, September 23rd, Tiffany told the police that the children were in Jamela's apartment the whole time. She told them that the reason they did not find them when they searched is because the children were inside the washer and dryer. That's messed up. So police return to the apartment and do another search. This time they said they could smell the decaying bodies. The deceased body of Demond was found in the dryer, and Ivan and Janella's bodies were found in the washing machine. The bodies were all nude, except one child did have underpants on. Demond was just seven years old, Ivan was two, and Janella was just one year old. Autopsy show that the children drowned and the authorities stressed that they weren't killed inside the washer and dryer. They were put there after they were killed. And what they believe happened is that Tiffany picked the children up, took them back to Jamela's apartment. She gave them a bath like a babysitter might do. However, during this bath, she drowned the children one by one and placed their bodies in the washer and dryer. The East St. Louis community was devastated and shocked by this brutal crime. Everybody, including both families, struggled to comprehend, comprehend what had happened. Tiffany and Jamela's mothers grieved together, which I think there's something beautiful about that. Yeah. Because the, the mothers knew that these two were best friends. And they both lost, you could tell that it was, one person didn't just lose their daughter and grandchildren. They both lost family right. with this. Why would a woman kill her best friend? And why would she kill three innocent children? Did Tiffany have a miscarriage? Was this like a postpartum psychosis type thing? I mean, we've seen that before. Yeah, we or, have. Or was she even pregnant to begin with? Is this like the Maryfield sisters where, you know, maybe she faked a pregnancy with the plane all along to steal this this baby? Yeah. Did she suffer from mental illness? I mean, there's just endless questions in this case. At first, Tiffany was only charged with the murder of Jamela and her unborn daughter. Eventually, three additional counts of murder were added in relation to Demond, Ivan, and Janella. Tiffany pled 
not guilty at first, and a psychiatric examination was ordered. Was anything ever found out with the psychiatric examination? So, her public defender um, said that the psychiatric examination showed that she was fit to stand trial. Okay. Um, but then the state announced that it planned to seek the death penalty. So this was before Illinois abolished the death penalty in 2011. Tiffany was assigned another lawyer who had experience in death penalty cases. So when a state decides to do a capital murder case, they have to provide resources to the defendant, including competent lawyers who have experience in death penalty cases. Right. Yeah, because I, I really don't want a public defender that's just out of law school. Right. With, oh, this is your first case, and I'm going to, so I'm going to die. Yeah. In 2008, Tiffany's attorneys had negotiated a plea deal for her that would eliminate the possibility of the death penalty. So she agreed to take it, and she pled guilty to four counts of first-degree murder and one count of intentional homicide of the unborn child. She was sentenced to life with no possibility of parole in exchange for the plea. Now, so I'm going to say we—I know we talked a lot about plea deals, but I'm kind of okay with that. The only reason I'm okay with that is because she was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. Like, right. if if I know that you're going to sit there and rot, and honestly, I think that kind of punishment is would is worse than a death penalty. Death penalty, you kind of get off a little easy. You know? You, if you, you believe in the afterlife, you do. You know? This, you have to sit there and suffer th- for the rest of your life, having that thought in your head, like what you did. Right. So, I mean, I'm, I'm good with that plea deal. She's, you know, she took the possibility of death off the table, which we all know Illinois abolished the death penalty anyway, so she wouldn't have faced it. Anyway. Anyway. Um, and at least this way, you know, it eliminated a very expensive trial, a very drawn-out trial that would have, I'm sure, been awful for both Tiffany's mother and Jamela's mother. You know, they're both grieving not only the loss of Jamel and her children, who were like family to both of them, but Tiffany's also like family to both of them. And right. It would be like one of your children killing your other child. Right. So, here's a question I have for you, since you have more knowledge about this. So, when somebody agrees to a plea deal, there's no trial at all. Correct. With that. Like, there's... Now, there might be sentencing hearings where some of, where it's kind of like a trial, and they talk about... Um, you know, some of the aspects of the crime and the character witnesses and things like that. But there's no trial. Okay. So, they basically, it's just, here, you sign this piece of paper. Like, kind of like how it is in the freaking, in the movies and on TV. Here's your plea deal. This is what we got you. Just sign it and accept it. And then you go to jail from there. Right. But a lot of times on TV, they sentence them right then and there. Right. And that's not really how it works. And usually with plea deals, too, like... So the state may say, we'll take the death penalty off the table, or, you know, we'll ask for 40 years. But if I understand correctly, like, the judge can overrule that. So if... Or he can refuse to accept the plea, too. So, like, if, if okay. they give a plea for 20 years for something and that judge is like, no, I don't think so, he can reject that. So, And if, say, I don't, I don't agree with this. Take it back. So, like, harking back to other cases, like, and once again, rabbit hole. Um, so, if the judge rejects that plea deal and says no, but it's a case that the evidence is a little iffy... And they go to trial, and they're found not guilty. So would that mean that, you know, you yeah. can If you're not guilty, you're not guilty, and there's double jeopardy attached. So it is what it is. But I think it is pretty rare for a judge to reject a plea deal. Okay. But I think it's also rare for a state to make, well, 
I would normally say it's rare for a state to make stupid deals, but we proved in season two here that that is not the case. That's like the theme of season two. <laughs> right. Stupid deals by your state. Right. So at least in this case, I I don't have issue with the, with the plea bargain that right. was taken. Um, Tiffany told the court that she, quote, had contemplated taking Mrs. Tunstall's unborn child for quite some time, end quote. Approximately one week before the murders, she purchased rubbing alcohol, a nasal aspirator, and a sharp object. So she was, like, if it was just rubbing alcohol and the sharp object, okay, like, that's, you're just doing surgery. You bought a bulb syringe. That's what the nasal aspirator is. It's right. the little bulb syringe that... Sucks the boogers that out. sucks the boogers out. And if any, and for all of you that had a kid... We know that that's the first thing that they do when that baby comes out, whether either C-section or vaginal birth, is they get all the holes, all, well, all the air holes sucked out. Right. So, I mean, she did have a pretty decent degree of premeditation. Um, you know, she had refused to be examined at the hospital after her supposed miscarriage, so... So then... Was she even pregnant? Um, probably not. Right. I mean, I, I don't I, know that for a 100% definitive. Could she have been pregnant and maybe had a little I, miscarriage? It's possible, but... Didn't they say that there was remains? Like, like baby remains, though? Yes, yeah, she had the baby with her. And the DNA testing on that baby proved that it was the baby that was taken from Jamela. Oh, shit. Okay. Oh, now... Now I'm picking up... Oh, Damn! This is more, that got, <laughs> that got more twisted than I thought. Yeah. So, the the thought here is that, you know, she had taken the baby from Jamela and somehow in the process of removing the baby from Jamela's womb, the baby died. So, she then claimed that she had given birth to a stillborn and that she didn't want to be examined because she had just been raped. When in reality, she didn't want to be examined because it would have been very, very obvious that she had not given birth recently. Right. Okay. Tiffany admitted to beating Jamela on the head with a table leg on September 15th, 2006 until Jamela was unconscious. She said Jamela was still alive when she began to drag her to the bathtub in her apartment and cut open her abdomen, removing the baby. Jamela bled to death in her own bathtub. Tiffany then dumped her body in the vacant lot, but because the baby had not survived, she called 911, reported that she had had a stillborn baby. But it's important to know that there were no signs of trauma on the baby. So most likely what probably happened is that the baby was deprived of oxygen as Jamela bled out. Three days later, Jamela was already dead, and Tiffany went to the father of her other three children's home, and she took the children back to Jamela's apartment and drowned them in the same bathtub that their mother had died in three days earlier. She placed the bodies in the washer and dryer and left the apartment. She spent the next several days planning the funeral for the baby, claiming that this baby was her own. So, did they ever find a reason why she killed the other children? No. Just, there was no other reasoning? No. There's just no clear motive, and, and it happening three days later... Like that's... And, I, and I don't want it to seem like I'm defending Tiffany in any sort of way... I feel like the murder of Jamela was premeditated, but she hoped to have a live child from that. And maybe the fact, and this is all pure speculation here, maybe the fact that the baby died and she went through all of this and she killed her friend who was like her cousin, she called her her cousin, and the baby still died, maybe she kind of just had like a psychotic break. I mean, she had two other children, which is what makes her a little bit different from the people we normally see who 
don't have any children. Who commit crimes like these, right. you know? Which, that's, uh, that just boggles my mind. Like, Maybe she thought in some twisted sense of reality that these children would be better off since their mother was dead. I, I don't know. Only Tiffany Hall has that answer and she may not even have that answer. Right. Like, what possessed her to kill the other three children? And then another twisted part. After you kill your best friend you kill all her kids you then plan a funeral you like funeral for the baby for, you're claiming for, is for your a baby own. that's not yours right like it just this story is hard to wrap my head around it's incredibly sad james gormick who is one of hall's attorneys said quote Hall had been mentally fit to stand trial, but also said she had unresolved mental health issues and tested at an IQ in the mid-70s, end quote. Again, no motives provided. It's believed that Tiffany either had a miscarriage or faked an entire pregnancy and she desired to pass Jamela's baby off as her own, but why the other three children? Like, right. Not that... It's just, like, not that it's, I'm justifying it or saying that it's okay just with killing Jamela and that baby, but I just, it's hard to wrap my head around what would lead her to then go kill her other three children. Right. You know, and like I said, it's it's odd because Tiffany had her own two children already. Her daughters were seven and eight at the time of the murders. In September of 2008... Hall moved to withdraw her guilty plea, claiming that she had ineffective assistance of counsel, but her request was denied. She filed another petition in 2012 for a new defense attorney, alleging that the ineffective assistance from her trial attorneys um, really is what the issue was legally for her. That petition was also dismissed, but Tiffany didn't give up, and she persisted, and she felt her, her attorneys really did not investigate her mental health and her fitness to stand trial. So during this time, she's already been convicted of all the charges, correct? She pled, so yeah, she's in prison um, so, so she's actively life in pri- without parole. Okay. In her petition, she said that Gilmerick, her attorney... Quote, actually didn't receive documentation of my psychiatric evaluation until two days after my guilty plea was entered, end quote. So, this is where it gets a little sticky for me. The report from a second psychiatrist, so the first psychiatrist's purpose was to determine if she was fit to stand trial. Right. And he said that she was, and that's fine. The second psychiatrist... His purpose was to determine her sanity at the time of the offense. So, yes, she's sane and she's able to stand trial now. But at the time that she murdered these people, was she sane? So that is why this second psychiatrist was brought in. The office of her attorney stamped his report as received on June 11th, 2008. Tiffany Hall entered her plea on June 9th, 2008. So she entered a guilty plea before her attorneys even knew the results of the, psych- the psychiatric about. examination for the time of the offense. So I'm not going to sit here and defend a quadruple murderer, really a five-time murderer if you count the unborn child. But it does seem to me like that is a legitimate concern. Right. Another report from a different psychiatrist was received earlier, like I said, and that is what deemed that she was fit to stand trial. But that psychiatrist did not assess her sanity at the time of the murders. The second report said Tiffany, quote, has a prominent mental health history that began when she was a young child and includes several psychiatric hospitalizations, end quote. Further supporting her appeal, records from psychiatric evaluations once she was incarcerated led to her being diagnosed with a psychotic disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, schizophrenia, 
mood disorder, bipolar disorder, and mild mental retardation. For these reasons, the t Tiffany's denial of her post-conviction relief was reversed, allowing her to proceed legally. So, her plea was not reversed, her sentence was not reversed. Well, the only thing that was reversed was when they dismissed her petition um, for new representation. And it was really like her petition to appeal their original decision. So she's appealing a decision. She's a, appealing a decision of an appeal of a decision, if this makes sense. So it doesn't. Nothing, but... nothing that happened overturns her guilty plea, overturns her conviction, overturns her sentencing. None of that. Could it happen down the road? It could. But at this point in time, basically what the court system is saying is that she had the right to Appeal. have some more hearings okay. regarding what happened. The petition had to be revised, however, to meet minimal criteria. So new attorneys were given to Hall. And throughout 2015 and 2016, there were several amendments that needed to be made to her appeal. Um, and so the attorneys kept asking for several extensions and eventually she requested a new attorney again, but the request was denied. The petition was eventually dismissed as it did not meet the requirements for relief. So years of delays to get this petition to meet the minimum requirements for her appeal and her attorneys failed to update this Petition attorneys you hire them because they're supposed to fill these petitions out for you and make sure they contain everything that they're supposed to contain and her attorneys Very clearly failed to do that. Well, they were State attorneys, correct? They were state appointed. Yes in 2020 Tiffany won her appeal on that dismissal and was given another opportunity to file a new petition for relief. So, so again, nothing's overturned. They're just appealing denials of petitions and so, giving her another chance to petition. So I'm trying to figure out what is the end game with all these with this appeal process then? What she would like to happen is she would like to withdraw her guilty plea. And I think what she is hoping to do, it's never been reported this way, but it's it's kind of implied is that she would like to withdraw her guilty plea and have a trial in which she would plead not guilty by reason of insanity, mental and so, defect. Basically. And so, what would so? And how would that change her current situation? Is it that she goes to a psych, like a psych facility, possibly, or they may resentence her to a possibility of parole? I don't know that. I'm thinking they're looking more at like mental health you know, putting her in a mental health for criminally insane. I mean, that's, that's sort of the end game, but okay, it seems the, unlikely. I mean, it just seems like all that we're going to get there. You know, this is going to be tied up in appeals for years. Right. I'm sure. Well, it's likely that Tiffany's case is, you know, got a long road ahead of it. At least Jamela's family can rest knowing that, you know, she is behind bars. She's currently housed at the Logan Correctional Center where she's serving a life sentence. Jamela's baby was exhumed from the grave that Tiffany gave her and was reburied with her mother and her three siblings in Millstock. That's awesome. Like, I, I, I say awesome, but, I mean, it's good that they did that. Yeah. Like, they righted a wrong, a lie. Terrible you know. wrong. Do you think she was insane? I don't know, but I mean, I, I just don't know. Here's like, the thing with me, for me seeing being without knowing any knowledge, kind of, I mean, there's a possible, I say no, but there's a possibility just cause no sane person would think that this is a course of plan that needs to be enacted on. No sane person would be like, oh, I just killed a mother and a baby. I'm going to go kill three kids. You know, like that's where I have trouble with th these kind of cases because I don't know. I just, I just don't know, you know. Yeah. Um, 
I see like her buying the instruments and things that she bought ahead of time is clear evidence of premeditation. So I don't necessarily think that, and she said she had thought about taking, you know, she had thought about this for a while. So I don't necessarily think that Jamela's murder was a result of insanity or psychosis. Maybe the three kids? That's what I'm wondering. I do wonder if she didn't have a psychotic break. Did she have some psychotic break and think like... Oh, oh crap, I just killed my best friend and her unborn baby and... I have to these kill kids? these children because they don't have a mother. But then again, at the same time, like, they were at their father's house. It wasn't like you had to take care of them. <laughs> so... I guess I struggle with that too. Or was it more of a, I tried to take your baby and the baby died. I still didn't get a baby. So I'm going to take the other babies and kill them. Because if I, I I don't know, I'm just throwing things out here. Like I can't understand the reasoning or the process. And and like you said, there was not a lot of, there's really no information given as to why she did what she did. I wonder if she even knows why she did what she did. You know, like, unless you know that reasoning, every, like, speculation is the best you're ever going to get. If that, about what's the reasoning behind it. Because, like like you said, she was a mother with two girls already. So it's not like you didn't have children of your own. Right. Did you just want a baby? Well, and I don't know... The specifics, um, you know, did she want a baby with the said boyfriend for some reason? Did she feel like having a child with him would give her more security? And I, I just don't know. As far as anybody was aware, she was still capable, very much capable of, of conceiving as far right. as we I know. Mean, you know, nobody knew her to be infertile or anything like that. So And hell, they're our age, or my age at least. Right. You know, it's not like you were too old to have, like, you're well, well before the threshold of, okay, having a kid's a little iffy. Yeah. Like, hell, you could have just had sex and had an oopsie baby. You know, and her, you know? her seven-year-old daughter is the one that was abused when she was a baby and had long-term effects and... You know, like I said, at seven was still wearing a diaper and, you know, it sounds like maybe some brain damage type thing. So, like, did she just not like the children that she had and she wanted to try again? Or I, I, well, and I the, just don't know. I yeah, just and, can't and, wrap my head and, around it. And until if we ever figure out the reason behind it, you're never going to know. Well, and that's what I guess maybe just the shock. And the lack of sense that it makes is what makes me think right. that maybe she really legitimately is insane. You know, and if she's insane, should she... I mean, I definitely think regardless of whether she's in prison or not, she needs mental health care. Right. You know, but it just makes me wonder, right. like, is she where she belongs? But I have a hard time saying that someone that killed... Four children and a mother who was her family, basically, doesn't belong in prison. Right. And it's not like the prisons don't have a health care system. You know? I mean, she's been getting mental health because she's got several diagnoses now. Right. And I'm sure she's getting, like, medication scheduled, like, on a daily basis. You know, I just don't see... How it ends, any, like, there is no... There's just no happy ending. There is none. This is one of the saddest, if not the saddest stories that I think we've ever covered. Right. It's just heartbreaking. It and is. senseless and devastating. And cruel. Yes. Like, that's, I think, that's lost a little bit with the storytelling is that this is a cruel crime. Well, and like, I can't you're not... look at the pictures of these babies and just be like, how scared they must have been. Right. I mean, and to think, because this is somebody they probably called aunt, you know, or auntie, or, you know, they had they had a nickname for. 
Right. You know, this isn't just Jamella. This is, oh, this is Auntie. You know, this is somebody they love. This is somebody they trusted. This is somebody that was in their lives, good, bad, or indifferent. Yeah. You know, and the last thing that they see is that person holding them under the water until they're dead. It's just, it kind of makes me a little nauseous, I'm not going to lie. It's just a heartbreaking, heart-wrenching story. But it's an important story, and we have to know that things like this do happen. And maybe through advancements in psychiatric care and forensic psychology and things like that, we can learn why these things happen, or at least warning signs and how to recognize when somebody isn't okay and I think in their mental health. You know, our justice system is so flawed right now. But I think that the mental health care system is even worse. Definitely. Like, I was a nurse at a place that dealt with psychiatric patients, and hearing their tales and hearing their life stories of not getting the care that they needed because whatever, like, reasons. Like, it's... Because in the long run, yes, people... You can have a mental disorder and live a long and productive life. Right. It just has, like, unfortunately, it has to be something that's kept up on and kind of, I hate to say it, but kind of forced on some people, you know? Well, and... And not really forced, but... But it's a proven fact that people that have mental health issues are at high risk of noncompliance with treatment. Right. It just is. It's just how it is. Not everybody clearly, but a lot of people. Well, a lot of them, they start taking the medicine, their voices go away, or they don't start, you know, whatever. They feel a little better. They feel a little better, so they're like, oh, I don't need this anymore. When they... Or they feel side effects, and they feel numb, and they don't like that. Right. That's a issue, too, so. Um, well, at least we're not dealing with somebody that's... Trying getting out of jail early this, right. this, this week right. on, on a lighter. <laughs> I mean, I do feel like the justice system did their job. Do I question whether or not Tiffany's lawyers failed her? I, I really do. I, I believe that they failed her. Yeah. Like if. But do I want her free? No. No, I don't want her free at all. But like that whole due process, like everybody gets the same. You know, that's the one thing I love about America is that, you know, you're innocent until proven guilty. But there was obviously stuff left out. I mean, when you made the guilty plea on June 9th, but oh, hey, you didn't get the doctor report till June 11th. Right. Well, and it's interesting, too, because in one of her appeals, the state argued that when she pled guilty, they asked several times in court, like, you know, are you doing this on your own free will? Do you feel like you were given proper representation? And, you know, she said yes to all those things. So they're like, you know, she said in open court that she was, she felt like she had proper representation. And even the the court ruled and they're like, you know, you don't know what you don't know. She probably didn't know at that time that she wasn't getting proper representation. She became aware of it later. Right. You know, so. And you can. I mean, I feel, I feel for her. As far as the process goes, that I don't necessarily feel like... And they said her IQ is very low, too. So, I mean, I don't necessarily think that she got the proper defense. That being said, I'm glad she's in prison. And yeah. I think that's where she needs to be. I don't know, you know... There, and there's a difference, too, between having mental health issues and being irresponsible for your crime related to you know, psychiatric reasons that make you not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect. There's a difference. You can have mental health issues and still be perfectly legally and criminally responsible for your actions. And that very well may be the case with Tiffany. Um, But I am glad that at least she is getting some mental health help. Yeah, and kind of to sidebar on part of your topic, you know, all of her attorneys were public defenders. Correct. This you is know, not somebody that has money to hire a high-priced attorney. And we all know that 
public defenders are, I can, probably great lawyers, but they have hundreds of cases. Right. You know, granted, she was a death penalty, you know, that got switched to, you know, life without parole, but I guarantee you that the all the defender, the public defenders that she's had, this isn't their only case that they're working on. Right. You know? And I think that that might be something that needs to be brought up in, you know, but I guess it's easier for lawyers to go into private practice because you can... Make like, a lot more money like, that no, way. Like, nobody wants to be a public defender because you get paid peanuts for doing hours and hours of work. If you want more information about this case or you'd like to see pictures of Jamela and her children and Tiffany Hall, visit us at www.themidwestcrimefiles.com. We also have a full list of references about this story and, you know, we're hoping that this story gets your mind thinking a little bit, maybe about, um, you know, our criminal justice system and how it works and how it's maybe different for people who don't have the financial resources um, to hire these high-priced attorneys and things like that. Um, but at the end of the day, it's just it's just a really sad, sort of depressing story. It is. Um, we will be back with a new story next week. And this is the one you've all been waiting for. This is the story where I have been corresponding with the person convicted of the crime for several months. And it's really going to be a chance for you to get questions that you would have hearing this story answered from the person that's in prison for the crime. So um, make sure you tune in for that. I think that it's an episode that you will really enjoy and um, we hope to see you guys all next week make sure you like and follow us on facebook yeah we just want to also thank you guys we're nearing almost ten thousand downloads it's amazing on you know we started this podcast thinking oh we'll only get like a couple views a couple listens a week you know you guys have turned out and especially this on in season two you guys have turned out amazing we've had two giveaways already you know, More to sh- come. shout out to all those winners that won that stuff. But yeah, uh, we look forward to doing this with you guys some more, and we'll see you guys next week. Bye.